Really? All right, Saban has just offered to let me tattoo him. We're talking about these tattoos we want to do. And, and, and I go, I can do you, you can do me at the same time. And he's all, I'll let you. And I'm all... Yeah, don't listen to that. Don't listen. Um, it's kind of funny. I, I, Nicole left her notes almost as long as my message. But don't. Um, you want to hear a funny story? If you were here last week, it's going to totally make sense. If you weren't, it's not going to make much sense at all. Uh, so, so this week I go and and I ate my last can of this Campbell's soup. It's Mexican tortilla. It's in this brown label. Has tons of MSG in it. And we know MSG makes everything taste better. So, uh, I, you know, when you go to Costco now and they don't have the cases of that, there's white label and it says no MSG, like that's a good thing. And so I, you know, talking about whining, I called up Campbell Soup. <laughs> and I go, and I, go uh, I want the soup with the MSG. Well, we don't make that anymore. I'm like, well, do you have any left? You know, I'll, I'll take some. They're all, no. And then about the time my wife comes home, she's at school. She comes home, and she goes, uh, I'm going to make lunch for you. And I go, great. She goes, are you hungry? And I go, well, I don't know. And she goes, yes or no? Yes or no? Man, if you guys are going to be like, this morning is going to be a bad day for you. I'm telling you, because it's not a whole lot of funny today. Uh, our trees, uh, these, this is, these are real bamboo trees. They're alive, and they told us we can't kill them. And they're, and they're done. Yeah, well, they used to be green before we stuck them in a room for two weeks. That was completely dark. Uh, but so they said they'll come back, so we just hope they do. I don't know why I'm telling you that. All right, we are, we are helping to do this fundraiser for CareNet. Uh, CareNet goes and they help uh, young girls who are pregnant, people with STDs. They do a lot of programs in, in schools around our community. They're a great organization. And they have a fundraiser they ask churches to do once a year. And this is it. You have these baby bottles. And out on that table out there, I, I hope there's some left. If not, I'll get some more. Uh, you take this baby bottle, and for the next three weeks, you come home, you have change in your pocket. You just start throwing it in this bottle. And in three weeks, you bring the bottle back. And we don't keep any of this. It all goes to CareNet. It all goes for their programs. And so we just turn these back into them, and that's... When of their largest fundraisers for the year. So if you would like to, grab a baby bottle and then bring it back and then I'll wash it out and drink soda out of it. That'd be great. Uh, but grab one, fill it up. It, it'll be... Of course. That's great. Thank you. Uh, we're going to have a Super Bowl party. here. Oh, great. I, I can't say that because uh, apparently that's copyright and you're not allowed to say the word Super Bowl. So we're going to have a super big game bowl party. <laughs> And we're going to do it here, and, what we're, and we're going to show this, the game on the screen. I can't say Super Bowl. Can't just say that, what I just said. Uh, it's copyrighted, and apparently a church got sued for having a Super Bowl party. So, Super Bowls. Whatever. Anyway, so uh, we're going to show it on the screen. Uh, some guys are going to bring some barbecue pits. So your job is to bring some meat or some veggies if you're a veggie person. But whatever, you know, God made cows out of steak, so that's why we eat them. Uh, so anyway, they're going to have a couple of grills out here. And bring your meat, throw it on the grill, uh, cook it at your own leisure, burn it, whatever you do to it. And then we're going to bring a lawn chair and hang out in here. We're going to watch the game and just hang out. Probably see some people out here playing some asphalt football, which can be very interesting sometimes. So we're going to do that. And uh, the last thing I want to talk about is, hi, I totally forgot this last service. 
Um, Pam and Doug, their small group is going to start this Friday night. And they are inviting you, if you're looking for a small group, to come and check theirs out. It's going to be a potluck. It's going to start at 7 o'clock. And if you come and see her uh, here, and like she works at the hospital too, so if you break yourself, you'll probably see her there too. But if you come and see her here, she'll tell you how to get there and all that kind of good stuff. They're going to do a book I told them that they should do. It's called Crazy Love by Francis Chan. So that's a great book. And I got all my things. This is wonderful. Why don't you guys stand there reading God's Word. This is what we ended on last week. This is John chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. It says this, So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. For not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Let's pray. Father, this morning... I ask that you would teach us, that you would help us to understand the claims that Jesus made about himself, and that we would then put our lives underneath that authority, that we would trust you and live our lives in such a way that it not only brings you honor, but it touches the world around us so that this world can know who you are. Amen. Have a seat. So, glad you guys laughed last week. That's great. Today you're not going to get much. This is going to be Theology 101 for you. A lot of stuff I hope you follow. I'm going to go through this. Uh, we're going to look at Jesus' claim to be God and then the testimony of why that is true. One of the major themes that you see throughout the book of John so far is that Jesus believes that salvation is for all people, everybody. The gospel, the kingdom, the family is open to everybody. You see this with Nicodemus, the woman at the well. You see this uh, with rich people and poor people. And you see this even with whiners that sit outside of a pool. There is no boxed in Jesus. Now, my dad, he likes to send me these bizarre things all the time. First thing he sent me a while ago was, oh, have you read the Da Vinci Code? You've got to read the Da Vinci Code. You know, it's, it's so great and wonderful. So I read it, and I'm like, oh, this guy's history is terrible. I don't know why people read a, a novel and think that it's supposed to be history, but whatever. It's, you know, all the history in it is just terrible. It's just terrible. Then he sends me this other thing called uh, Zeitgeist. Have you watched this movie called Zeitgeist? And see, Christianity is taken from all these pagan religions, and he's always trying to do these things. Christianity is not unique. It's, it's compared to these pagan religions. Well, there are some similarities. Uh, Jesus came as a man. There you go. Uh, but the dissimilarities are gigantic. Like, like one of them in this video, it says, well, the virgin birth, it's just like Mithras, this, this god from 3000 B.C. and da, da 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 And actually, Mithras was born out of a rock. And I don't know how that relates to a virgin birth, but uh, it says that uh, Krishna uh, was crucified and Jesus was crucified, so it's nothing new. It's all the same thing. Well, actually, Krishna was sitting in front of a tree, and an archer shot an arrow, and it went through his foot. And he died, and unless his foot maybe got stuck to like, boom, ow, and it got stuck to the tree. I don't really see the two relating, but on and on, on and on. He's, he's always trying to bring these things together to say, oh, it's not unique. But Christianity is unique. Most pagan religions were all about discrimination. It was about this people and not that people, and, and this God was for these people, and he's going to kill all these people. Jesus' message was not like that. Jesus says he was sent for all people of the earth. Not small localities. He is the God of everybody. Turn your Bibles to John chapter 5. 
Uh, as you turn there, I'll tell you this. It is easy for people to be known for what they are against. Most political parties are like this. It's like, you know, what are you for? Well, we don't know, but we're against that guy. So vote for us and don't vote for that guy and we'll, we'll be good. Political parties, causes, organizations are all known for what they are against. We as a church, as element, want to be known by what we are for and we are for Jesus. Bottom line. 518, this is how we go. For this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, and that's happened last week. Jesus healed this guy on the Sabbath. It's a small part of it. But he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Now, as a humanity, as a people, we have to deal with that. We have to do something with that right there. Because if Jesus is just a man, you can dismiss what he says and go on with your life. But if he is God, then all of a sudden, certain things become demanded of our lives. So at this point, Jesus goes into a lengthy discourse about who he is. And we're going to look at those claims and the testimonies. And then at the end, he has a little rebuke for the people who don't believe. I will tell you this. You must understand that God always goes into the world with a witness. God is always his witness. In ancient times, what would happen is a witness would come and they corroborate your story. You would say, I was pulling into element and somebody rear-ended my car and it wasn't my fault. And a witness would come along, which actually happened a while ago, and a witness would come along and they would say, yes, that's exactly what happened. This guy is a bonehead and he ran into him because he didn't know how to use his brakes, talking on a cell phone and he's texting and you can't do that. You know, and so they would say, this is a witness, this is how this works. The, God always goes into the world with the witness about himself. We think we have to drum something up about who God is. Oh, we've got to say all these things. But God goes before us. Scripture tells us that God always goes before us as his own witness. Your story is important. It's why four and five weeks ago I had Saban and Doug get up and, and share their stories. But God goes before your story even before you tell it. That's what God does. That's what Jesus is saying. My Father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. God keeps on moving in every corner of the world. Uh, D.C.H. Rue, in the early 20th century, he translated Homer's Odyssey. Have you guys ever read that? Uh, he translated this for Penguin Classics. He is an agnostic. He is not a believer. And so Penguin Classics, after he finishes this book, comes to him and says, well, we're going to do a new translation of the Gospels. Would, would you translate that? Now, again, not a believer. He says, well, this should be interesting. So he goes through. Within one year of translating the words of Jesus, he becomes a believer. God is still doing his work. It is amazing. People come to know Jesus through mundane things like a Sunday morning service to bizarre acid trips. I had a lady, uh, I talked to her this morning. It's, it's interesting. She emails me this week and she goes, I've been driving by your place and God's telling me, you need to go there. You need to go there. I'm like, good, we'll go here. It's, it's great. <laughs> you know? And it's, God is constantly doing stuff. I read this story about a guy. He works in a Chinese prison, and he's been praying for years, and yet he feels all alone because there's no other believers around him. He's, he's alone. He feels God doesn't hear him. Uh, and so he feels like God's left him, and so he goes to clean the bathrooms one day. And the guards in these prisons will use anything for toilet paper, including the Bible. And so as he's cleaning up, he finds one scrap of Scripture as he's ready to lose hope. And this one scrap of Scripture that he finds says this, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And he believes believes. God penetrates the weirdest stuff. Some people say, oh, it's coincidence. I think it's God as a witness going before us. Sometimes people get really freaked out. In America today, 3,500 churches close every single year, and people get freaked out. But let me ask you this. Do you think God gets freaked out about that? Not at all. Not at all. I mean, you read the scriptures. God always knows what he is doing. There are times when Israel's lost the scriptures completely. Not just like I can't find the bookstore to get a new Bible. It is lost completely. They can't find them. There is nothing. Then a couple guys go and they start rebuilding the wall and rebuilding the city and rebuilding the temple. And they 
find the scriptures again that were lost, that nobody had. God is always going before us. I don't understand how it always works, but he's always going before us. And Jesus claims to be that God. For this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So the Jews say about Jesus, oh, this guy's evil. He is claiming to be God. This is not skeptics 2,000 years later going, oh, did Jesus really claim to be God? These are people who are there in that day, standing next to Jesus, knowing what he is claiming. Paraphrasing C.S. Lewis here. C.S. Lewis basically says, Jesus is either a liar, he's the biggest nut job in the world, or he is God. That's what you're stuck with. That's it. You have no other options. And according to these people, Jesus is a liar. And so what does Jesus do? He responds. It's amazing. He actually answers them. So verse 19. Jesus gave them this answer. I tell you the truth. Not that he lied all the other times or anything like that. And now he's finally telling the truth. This is an emphatic. Listen to me. You want to say these things about me? Well, you better listen to what I'm saying. I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, to your amazement, he will show him even greater things than these. For just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the father judges no one but has entrusted all judgment to the son, that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. He who does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. So these are the four claims that Jesus makes here to reinforce the point. The first one is this. He is obedient to the father in all things. All things. This is a claim that nobody can make. You and I can't make this claim that we're obedient to God in all things. I mean, we'll be driving home and someone will cut us off. We'll be like, ah, you know, and it's like we're not obedient at that point because our middle fingers should stay. Anyway, verse 19, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. I mean, this is John 17, 4. Jesus says, I brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And we say, well, Jesus was sent and he was supposed to go to the cross. Well, this is true, but there is also more work that he had to do. And Jesus says he has done that work because he is perfectly aligned with the Father's will. John 10.30, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. Again, everything the Father does, Jesus does. The obedience of Christ sets up who he is and who you can trust that he says that he is. If you and I, if we claim to follow God, we need to also align ourselves with God and his purposes. Last week, Jesus goes to this paralyzed guy who's just a big whiner, and he finally says, stop sinning. And that's the same thing for us. There are things that we struggle with that we fail at constantly, and God wants us to get better, so he works in process with us through it. But there are other things we just simply do not want to believe and follow what God says, and so we just blow it off. We don't obey, but Jesus works as one with the Father. That's why Jesus prays in John 17, 11. He says that they, you and I, may be one as we are one. So our oneness would come through this obedience of following him. Our problem is we, we take this word grace, which is a great word, and we run with it, and we think that we are saved by grace, and then we just wait for heaven. We're just, oh, I'm going to hang out and, and see what happens. But the purpose of this redemption was to get us back to creation, in a sense, that all life is good, life with God is better. We begin working to bring God's kingdom here by our actions and by our lives. It's what he calls us to do. In God's mercy and God's grace, we need to become obedient. Not become obedient so God likes us, but we become obedient as the outcropping of God's love for you and I. So he says, he's obedient to the Father in all things. And then in verse 20, for the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. The Father loves the Son. Number two, the Father loves the Son. The Trinity has in itself a foundation of love for each other. 
And this is a love that we don't run around in love with this type of love all the time because we become too self-absorbed. We don't also obey. In verse 41, Jesus says, I do not accept praise from men, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. Jesus says, I am who I claim because I have the love of the Father in me. Do you have the love of the Father in you? See, the, the problem with these people is that they're really religious. They do a whole lot of stuff, but they have no love. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul points out that you can give to the poor like crazy, but if you don't have love, the love of the Father, then you're just making meaningless noise. Keep your finger in John and turn to the book of Isaiah. Old Testament. It's kind of big, so you probably can't miss it if you just kind of flip through it. To the right of Psalms. Before Malachi. You know, it's kind of... Before Daniel. <laughs> Helping you out. Slip your finger in John. Isaiah uh, 58. This is, at this point, this is the Israelites complaining again. And this is God making a distinction between the type of love that we do and the type of service we do and the type of service that he calls us to. Israelites complaining like they love to do. Uh, 58 verse 3. And they say, Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? So they're whining to God and they're saying, God, look at all this stuff we're doing. Shouldn't we get some kudos for this? Come on, give us, give us something. And this is what God says. Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and striking each other with wicked fists. Apparently they're all hypoglycemic and they can't handle it when they don't eat. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen, only a day for a man to humble himself? Is it, not only for, is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying on sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? And in verse 6, I love this. Is not this the kind of fast I have chosen, to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe him and, to not, and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? That is the love of the Father. That is what God intends for his people to be like. Loving and caring for people. There's a whole idea. In Matthew chapter 25, it's like this judgment. And everybody's before Jesus. And Jesus says, you didn't care for people. You didn't clothe people. You didn't look out for people. And they go, well, when did we see this happen? And Jesus said, whenever you did it for the least of these, you did it for me. That's the point. That our, the love of the Father is supposed to outcrop through us and to the world. At the end of the book of John, after, after uh, Peter denies Jesus three times, Jesus reinstates him and he asks him, Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter says yes. And each time Jesus says, Then feed my sheep. Take care of the people around you. He's obedient to the Father in all things. The Father loves the Son. Number three, that Jesus grants life. Jesus grants life. This is spiritual and physical. Uh, in verse 21 it says, For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Throughout the, all the scriptures, God is universally recognized as the giver of life. And Jesus is saying, I am doing works that only God can do. Because I am God. I am a life giver. I give life even on your bizarre Sabbath days when you want to take me out. And number four, he is the judge. He is the judge. Verse 22, Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son. Some people say, well, this is a contradiction because Jesus said he didn't come to judge. Well, you get this out of John chapter 3. The parameters for the word judgment has like a couple different connotations here. If you have the NIV, John 3.17 is actually a very good translation of the NIV. It says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. 
There will be a judgment, but that is not why Jesus came to earth. He came to save, but there will be a time to judge. Jews hearing this know that only God has the right to judge, and Jesus has just said, I am the judge. In my mind, I keep hearing that, here comes the judge. Here comes... If you... Never mind. Okay, this is great. As Christians and churches, churches love to judge people. They love to point their finger at everybody and say, oh, well, they're going to hell, and they're going to hell, and they're going to hell, and we're, we're like that. We like to make judgments. We love to do it. But we have no right to make those. Only God gets to make those judgments. We can, we can argue theologically about all kinds of stuff, and, and that's great, but judgment is God's alone. God is the judge of men, period. We make far too many judgments. But then sometimes we're like, we, we take judgment and we confuse it with discernment, and we say, well, uh, I'm not supposed to judge. I, I was talking to a guy a while ago, and, and he's living with his girlfriend, and I said, you need to move your butt out. You need to protect her purity as you're called to, because before God, you're responsible for her. Protect her purity the best that you can. And so, and he looks at me and he goes, don't judge me. And I go, I'm not judging you because you're being stupid. <laughs> There's a difference between discernment and judgment. I'm not telling him he's going to burn in hell. That's, that's, that's God's parameters. My job is to say, you call yourself a believer. And there are certain things that God calls us to as believers. So don't claim to be this and, and not follow God. We need to come in a place that is humble. And encourage people who claim the name of Christ to live a life walking with God. You know, that's what we exhort. We exhort that righteousness looks like Jesus, period. That's what it looks like. So Jesus didn't come to judge, but in in the end, he will be your judge, and he'll be righteous at it. So he's obedient to the Father in all things. The Father loves the Son. Jesus grants life, and he is the judge. Verse 23, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. These four things are true, so the Son would be honored. That word means glory. It means weight, something that has weight. Jesus says, honor me like God. Honor me like God. Tim Keller relates it like this. He says, if you have a pond or a pool of water, it has a certain weight or a certain viscosity. And if you take and you drop a rock in that, and all of a sudden you get the water gets displaced by the mass of that rock as it cuts through, and you get this ripples that go out. The, the water gets displaced by the mass of the rock. And he calls this a waterquake, a waterquake. And then he says this, The God most people in Christianity follow is a God that is too small and causes no ripples. We believe that God is tiny. When he hits our lives, we go, oh, look at, oh, that's a little ripple. That, that's really nice. Look at God. Oh. He says, and then sometimes the real God breaks through our facade. And boom, you get a Godquake. And your little pool of water goes, as the boulder of God sits in the middle of it. And all of a sudden, everything, we are hit and we are struck and everything, we're like, what's going on? Because God has just showed up and he displaced the God that we made up in our own minds. And we are hit and we struck and we must turn to him because we have been struck by his holiness. That we have a God quake. Jesus says he is that God. These four things are said the way it is so the Jews and us would see the weight of his glory. He is obedient to the Father in all things. The Father loves the Son. Jesus grants life, and He is the judge. And when you begin to see Jesus like this, there should be a quake because He also has the quaking ability of the Father because He is God. I mean, is that not a crazy claim that you honor God as you do me, honor me as you do God? That's a crazy claim. He's either a nut, a liar, or He is God. There are some people today, some scholars, I use that term loosely, who get together and they talk about wanting to take John out of the Bible because they say John has too high a Christology. You know, that John magnifies Jesus way too much. He has too high a view of Jesus. 
Well, yeah, that's true. Either you take John out or you're stuck with the weight of Jesus' glory because it was the weight of Jesus' glory that struck John. And so Jesus now takes this track and he builds on this idea. And each one of these things are stuff that we just talked about, starting in verse 24. I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. Jesus says, I have life. The bottom line, it's simple. You want life, you believe in Jesus. You find the depths of heaven in Christ. He says, I tell you the truth. Third time in the discourse, he says this, I tell you the truth. A time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear uh, the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live again. He has life. He has the ability to give life. He talks about judgment at the end. He says, For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself, and he has given him authority. This is not the authority of a denomination or a religion. This is the authority of God himself to judge because he is the Son of Man. Here comes the judge. Verse 28, Do not be ashamed of this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live. Those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. By myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. He is the judge. And this is kind of an interesting thing that Jesus says here. Because he says, you're judged based on what? Deeds. You don't hear that a lot. We all talk about grace. You, you, are, you are saved by grace. You are redeemed and restored by grace. But there is a judgment. God's going to say, what did you do with what I gave you? I gave you my life and my strength. I renewed you. Did you, did you act like the Israelites? And did you just hold it all on yourself and, and, and do everything for your own glory? Or did you live for the kingdom of God and touch the people around you with what I gave you? Some people buy into this humanistic ideal that all people are basically good. This is the whole premise of Star Trek. Geeks. Okay? And I actually like Star Trek. This is the whole premise behind it. I mean, I have no such illusions. People are evil. They're bad. I, I have no such illusions. They, they're just bad. Anybody ever bought a house? Anybody ever tried to buy a house and didn't get a house or looked at a house? Uh, here, I'll, I'll give you the deal about houses. You, you have housing ads. Everybody lies. Everybody lies. You walk into a place and they'll say, um, this house has an old world feel. Okay. What that means is the toilets don't work and that if you go take a shower and someone flushes the toilet, you're either going to burn to death or you're going to like freeze to death. One or two things are going to happen. Or you say, oh, this house is quaint. You know what quaint means? Quaint means it's big enough for a bed and a microwave. That's it. That's it. Oh, and people say things like, I wrote these down so I wouldn't forget because I'm actually reading the ads to see what they say. It says charm, charm. Yeah, the whole house leans to one side and you don't put anything on the counter because it'll go dink and just kind of roll off. That's charm. We all lie. Have you ever stretched the truth about anything? Have you ever been angry at somebody, just mad, and you're in a fight, and you say something that you know will hurt them because you're mad? You want them to feel that you are angry. We are all contributors to the evil in the world, every single one of us, and God is just to judge us by that. There are some people who say, oh, well, I'm basically a good person, and, and, and I'm just going you know, to judge on my deeds. Well, fine, God will judge you on your deeds. In the context here of the good, there's a definite article here that says, the good. What you have done with Christ? That is the question. What have you done with him? So Jesus now takes this, then he was into talking about the witnesses so you can trust what he just said about who he is. Verse 31, if I testify about myself, my testimony is not valid. There's another who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony about me is valid. Jesus says, you don't believe my testimony? Let's look at some testimonies. Verse 33, you have sent to John, this is John the baptizer, not John the guy who's writing the book of John. You have sent to John and he has testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it that you may be saved. 
John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. He says, John talked about me. He taught the truth. Once again, John likes to use metaphors here, and these concepts of heat and light. Light equals truth. Heat equals passion. He says, John had a passion for the truth, and he spoke to you, and you listened, and you had a passion, but that passion that you had did not lead you to the truth. It led you to have a passion for religion. You took the heat and you did with it what you wanted to. You didn't focus it on the truth. This is like you and I do all the time. We have a passion for God. Oh, I really love God. And then you read scripture and God says, well, you shouldn't be doing that. And we're like, I don't want to believe that. I'm going to do what I want to do over here. And we just walk the other way because we have passion. But that passion doesn't lead us to the truth to really obey and follow God. Just with sermons all the time. Even I do this with sermons. Oh, I preach something like, I'll preach that, but I don't believe that. No, I'm, I'm just I, I believe everything I tell you, except for Internet stuff. So it's a, wait, we do this with sermons all the time. We come up and we say, well, I like that, and I hated that, and I'm going to believe that, and not believe that, and I'm going to hold on to this and, and get rid of that. We have passion, but we run from the truth. We run from the truth. We're going to come back to this in just a little bit. But Jesus says, you have the witness of John. The witness of John testifies about who I am. The second witness, the witness of the cross, verse 36. I have testimony weightier than that of John for the very work that the Father gave me to finish, the work of the cross, and which I am doing testifies that the Father has sent me. This is the work of the cross, not the miracles. This is the death and resurrection of Christ. Witness of John, witness of the cross. Number three, you have the witness of the Father, verse 37. And the Father who sent me has testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice nor seen his form. He doesn't work for skeptics, works for believers. Nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. See, witness of John, witness of the cross, witness of the Father. And lastly, you have witness of the scriptures. Verse 39, you diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Everything the Jews held sacred, their law, the Torah, the prophets, their poetry, everything Jesus says points to me. The Father, John, the cross that's coming up, scripture, everything points to me and what I have just told you being true. And people say, well, Jesus never really claimed to be God. What? What is really interesting and what you see in the next few chapters of John as we go through it from like the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus walking on water, everything from this point on basically reinforces Jesus' claim to be God. Everything that he starts to do from this point forward, John wants you to see, yes, this is Jesus reinforcing the claim of who he is. Verse 41. Jesus says, I do not accept praise from men, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. He says, you don't want to believe and accept what I say, but you'll follow anybody who simply agrees with you. Personally, I cannot tell you how many times I wrestle with things in Scripture because God doesn't agree with me. Isn't he supposed to agree with me? Isn't he supposed to rubber stamp everything, every bizarre idea I have in my head and go, yes, that's good, do that. You know, He doesn't. He doesn't do that for us. In verse 44 it says, "Now, or How can you believe if you accept the praise from one another yet make no effort to obtain the praise that comes from the only God? I mean, God gave you a witness, the Father, John the Baptist. Scripture talks about Jesus, and he says, but you are not listening. And this is just like us. We do not listen. And so what we do is we get a water quake, and we do not get a God or a Jesus quake. There may be heat, but there's no truth, or there may be a whole lot of truth, and there's no passion. We're all just head knowledge and no heart that lives it out. 
And when we live like that, the Christian life becomes mundane and boring and the same as everybody else is on this planet. We just survive. It is not the eternal life that God calls us to. In verse 45, that's how Jesus ends this. He says, But do not think I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you believe Moses, you would believe me. Why? For he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? He says, You only care about one thing, yourselves. You won't even listen to the guy that you think was the greatest teacher in the world if he disagrees with you. And isn't that just like us? That is just like us. We care about us. We care about what we want. And not necessarily about what God wants. We want God's passion and and this flame and this fire. And oh, I want to really feel the love of God. But we don't let that lead us to the truth. Especially when it disagrees with us. If you and God disagree, you and Jesus disagree, you're wrong. Period. That's it. He is right. Marriages fail. Because we cease to put the other person before ourselves. And we start to think, well, what about me? What about me? People, give me, give me, give me. And friendships fail because we get into friendships and see what they can give us. Oh, well, they're not giving me enough, so I'm not going to be friends with them anymore. Ministries fail because all the glory is supposed to be God's, and we start wondering, well, where's my glory? Where's my? I've been working a lot. God, shouldn't you give me something out of this? And it fails. And then hopes begin to fail because we have heat and no truth. Or we have truth and no heat. And we don't follow, we don't obey, we don't love, we don't honor, and we only worship God if He agrees with us. I'll tell you, the only way for our hope to be restored is to get our eyes off of us and place them onto Jesus. And that's it. Jesus God come in the flesh. He lives a life that showed how we should live. He loved the Father as we should love the Father and the Son. He has granted us life, and Jesus has saved us. And the most beautiful thing about this is that there is still work to do. That God allows us to partner with Him in the redemption of the world. That He wants to bring the kingdom of God to life in the world and He allows us to partner with Him in that. And Dallas Willard says that grace doesn't negate effort. Yeah, we get grace and then God says, live, walk, follow me. I will tell you this. You can trust Jesus because Jesus has better character references than anybody I know, especially you and me. And honestly, who else is better to trust your life with than Jesus? Jesus cares more about your future. Jesus understands when he calls you to certain things and we to obey those things, that this obedience brings us further into life. It doesn't lead us away from life. It leads us into life. Jesus cares more about our souls than anybody. We are people that need to learn to trust our great God and Savior, Jesus, this morning. And part of that is, like I said, it's obedience. What does he say? How do, how do these things in his word that speak, how do I then translate those into my life so I live what he really calls me to live? How do, how do I love my family? How do I love my neighbors? How do I love the people at my job? You know, even the crazy guy two cubicles over who, who has like Star Trek pictures plastered all over his cubicle. How do I love that guy? He's just weird. I talk to him, he starts talking about phasers and warp cannons, and I don't get it. You know, how do I do that? Everything comes together under the obedience of Christ, trusting who He is, so you begin to take the kingdom of God into the world. You live in such a way that brings the kingdom to the world. Jesus is God, and this is what He calls us. And if He is God, then we have to follow what He says. It's one of the reasons we come to communion every single week. 
Because what communion does is it resets our focus. It reminds us of who he was and what, he, what Jesus came to do. So we take that cracker and we break it, which represents his body, which was broken for us. We dip it the wine or the grape juice, which reminds us of his blood that was shed for us. So we, too, can have life. So Jesus grants us life. When we worship God through prayer, there'll be some elders in the back of the room. And if you're at a place today and you're just like, man, I, I want to follow Jesus. I have a whole lot of heat. But, but I have no truth, or I have a whole lot of truth, and I have no heat. Pray with them. Pray with them. They would love to talk to you about Jesus. We worship God through songs. The band's going to come up. You are so tall. <laughs> and, and we're going to sing some songs about, about this whole idea of, of trusting who Jesus is and, and, and the Trinity and Jesus being God and, and why we can trust and believe those things. It helps us to reset and refocus our minds. We're going to worship God uh, through giving. There's offering boxes on the side wall in the back of the room, and we give because God gave to us. And we worship God through fellowship. Uh, when we're done today, uh, I encourage you guys, hang out, talk to some other people, get to know some people. You know, uh, I don't know if anybody watched the UFC fight last night. You can talk about, hey, you see the fight? I didn't because I'm too cheap, and I only watch one a month. Uh, and you, you talk and, and, you, and you begin to build relationships because Jesus died and rose so that we can be reconciled to each other, have relationships again, and then we can help spur one another on towards the hope that he calls us to. It's, it's beautiful and amazing what God longs to do in people, how he has entrusted himself to us. Every day, I just stand in amazement. And so today... I hope that you let God quake in your life. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that that is true, that you would cause a God quake in our hearts, that all the little gods and things that that we set up thinking they're so important would be displaced by the glory, the weightiness of who you are. God, I ask that that when we truly understand and see your glory, that, that we would praise you. That we would begin to live in such a way that the people around us know who you are by our lives. God, that many times we wouldn't even need to say words because people would understand who you are by our actions. And for those of us this morning who, who have a whole lot of passion and not a whole lot of truth, I ask that you would expose them to the truth. For those who have a whole lot of truth and not a whole lot of passion, I ask that you would expose them to the passion of you. We ask that you would quicken our lives. We would understand more of who you are. Amen.